Father, we uh, praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you that you are a promise maker and a promise keeper. That you have uh, promised, even, uh, even from the very beginning when sin entered this world, you promised that you would bring redemption. And you have brought it in various stages and various ways through uh, redemptive history. And you've brought it in its fullness, in its ultimate peak and pinnacle, in and through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have the opportunity to gather here together as a church family uh, with new friends and guests and visitors. God, what a privilege that we get to gather here together to come around the person and work of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for all the churches in the city that are gathering uh, and worshiping right now, that are seeking to hold faithful and fast to your gospel and to your word. We pray that you would bless their time together, that you would not only bless our time, but you would bless all the churches across the city that are seeking to uphold the gospel. We pray that as we turn to your word now, that you would be gracious to us, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the beauty and the glory of this passage and to see the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. Help us to see, God, your commands and your calls and your invitations as not burdensome, but as life-giving. Help us, God, to see you not as a killjoy, but as the one who wants to give us joy by leading us into the past that you have designed, that you have purposed, that you have created, that bestow greater dignity, beauty upon us. So, Lord, come and teach us by your spirit. Open our eyes to behold beautiful things out of your word and open our eyes and our hearts to behold Christ and to see him and to latch on to him by faith. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. So there's a uh, powerful aspect about Jesus that we'll often gloss over. And we think of his miracles. We think of, obviously, his crucifixion. We think, obviously, of his resurrection. Uh, we think of his feeding of the 5,000. We think of his way with words. He's incredible in all of these facets and in, in just things that he does, but there's one thing that we sometimes forget about Jesus. And the thing that we can gloss over when it comes to Jesus is his development and transformation of people. That Jesus transforms people. One of the prime examples of this is if you just do a sort of case study through his disciples in the New Testament. If you just trace when Jesus meets them and what happens through the three years of ministry along the way with them, and then after Jesus ascends and leaves them and what they do after that and you follow in church history, you see a transformation and development of people that's extraordinary. In fact, one of the historical wonders about the explosion of Christianity in a hostile environment with no resources, with opposition against it on every side, is the fact that the movement was led by ordinary, common people. So much so that in the book of Acts in the New Testament, after Jesus has left the scene and uh, Peter and John and James are kind of leading the movement, they get arrested for preaching Jesus. They go before the, the major political leaders and the political leaders say this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They were expecting some PhDs. They were expecting some people with some leadership development uh, 
credentials or seminars in their background. They were expecting some powerful, charismatic people. And what did they see? Unschooled common men leading the movement of God. Why? Well, the text goes on. It says this. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus had rubbed off on them. Jesus had gotten into them. Jesus had transformed them. What might Jesus do with you? What might Jesus do with us? So we're doing this series deeper, and we're thinking about what it looks like to go deeper as gospel people in different facets and identities. We, we first started with uh, going deeper as gospel-centered people, centering our lives not on our own sense of success or failure or obedience or sin, but centering ourselves on the fact that God accepts us through the grace of Jesus. And we talked about disciple-making as encouraging. How can we encourage and build up uh, one another towards love and good works towards Christ? And now we're talking about discipleship again, but not in the inward uh, way of encouraging, in the outward way of being transformed by Jesus to obey a call that he gives on our lives. So let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 4. You guys can uh, open up there, or click your phones on. Um, we'll also have it on the screen. I'll, I'll, read, I'll read from that because as talented as I may seem, I'm not really good at holding a microphone and a Bible and flipping pages at the same time. So I know you guys thought I could do that. That's basically like juggling, and uh, I, can't, I can't do that. So Matthew writes in his gospel about the call of the disciples. He says this, Walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, or fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So here, Matthew records Jesus' initial interactions with uh, John, uh, Peter, and Andrew. And this, this call, we see this in John 1, we see it also in Luke 5. And what you notice, if you look at those texts, you see each gospel author is going to highlight a different aspect of what happened going down on this first call, uh, this first interaction when Jesus calls his disciples. And they're each highlighting a certain point uh, about this interaction to, to highlight something. But I want us to see this when we think about Jesus and how he transforms people. One of the things that Jesus says is, he says to them, follow me. And I will make you something. Follow me, and I will transform you. Follow me, and I will develop you. Follow me, and I will make you a fisher of people. Now, Jesus is funny, isn't he? Because what are these people? They're fisher what? They're fishermen, right? So Jesus is funny. Jesus has got, Jesus got the pun game very strong here, right? He's saying, hey, you... You do this, and I see what you guys are doing. Come, you're going to fish for something with much more dignity, much more significance, much more value, much more worth, and you're going to make an incredible difference on the world. Follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Now, we know that in uh, Luke's account of this in chapter 5, that they had been fishing, they had not been catching anything, and Jesus said to them, put your net here. And they put the net there, and they catch a, a, the mother load, so much so that Peter says, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. 
I'm not worthy to be near you. So there's other things that are happening in this encounter, but they hear the call of Jesus and they respond. And Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. This call to follow Jesus and fish for people, it's like the royal call of a king to commoners. These people, they're just, they're just fishermen. And Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. This is a royal call of a king to peasants. This is like the owner of Coca-Cola on a hot, scorching summer day walking down the block. And he turns and he sees this, this girl who's running her lemonade stand. You know, the, you know the lemonade stand, the five cents to get a refreshing drink of lemonade? And he sees her selling uh, her, her lemonade at five cents. And he comes over to her and he says to her, let me buy one. But you know what? Follow me. I'm going to make you the new CEO of Coca-Cola. Okay, I hope you have a great leadership development plan because this is lemonade that I bought from CVS and put my name on. You know, I I hope you have a plan and a purpose here because I'm not quite sure how this transformation is going to happen. See, we, we spend so much time searching for meaning and purpose. We, we think we can locate purpose and meaning in finding a job that blends our passion with a decent salary. And we say, when I find that, I'm going to feel purpose. When I achieve this thing, I'm going to feel more significance. I'm going to feel like I'm a part of this story. I'm a part of something that, that matters. But Jesus Christ is right in front of us saying, follow me and I will make you a fisher of people. Follow me and I will pour and infuse purpose and dignity and significance into your life in such a way that you will actually be a part of the work of God in the world. See, Jesus is calling us to life and purpose on a cosmic scale. That's what this call is about. It's a call that says, come, join God in the renewal of the world. Come, join God in helping his creation come back to their creator. Come and be a part of this royal, divine work of God in human history. God is sending us the RSVP because God wants us to be a part of this work alongside of him. This is incredible. And when, God, when Jesus does this, you know what he's doing? He's appealing to the, he's appealing to the hero in us. He's appealing to the image of God in us, this, this self uh, or this, this divinely created part of every human being that we were made to work and worship and rule and reign and cultivate with God. And he's saying, we've lost that through sin. We've lost that connection. We've lost that, that sense of purpose. We've, we've lost that fellowship. So now come and follow the Savior who will restore that and renew that purpose within us. And now you can say, ah, this is how I fit into the story of the world. This call to follow me that Jesus gives to these fishermen is also, we see it fleshed out as we look out through, we look through uh, Matthew. We see it's, it's really more than they understand at this point. Right? Jesus is kind of, in a, in a good, godly way, he's kind of leading them on. Right? They don't understand all of the implications of this call completely. Peter has a sense of it because in Luke 5 he says, Lord, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. Peter has this understanding that this follow me call has, there's, there's a barrier between me and Jesus because of my sin. This follow me call, we see it fleshed out, is, is really a call to faith and repentance. It's a, it's a call to turn from living from self, turn from sin, to recognize our need for a savior and to trust him and to display that trust by following him and obeying this transformational work he wants to do in us. So we see the, the gospel 
is a thread in this call to turn from our living for self to embrace God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. I think part of this call shows us that Jesus is not simply content to take you and to rescue you from sin and to grant you forgiveness and to grant you eternal life. He's not just content to save you from things, but he's actually trying to save you to things. You guys get that? He doesn't just want to save us from things. Hey, get out of danger. Come in the bunker. Get down here, right? You guys encountered that type of Christianity where it's like, well, let's get away from all the bad people out there and get in the bomb shelter down here. You ever encounter that? This kind of escapism? You guys have not encountered that. Okay. It's because we're in New England. Okay? So you can't operate that way, right? Here we understand everybody's got issues, right? We actually have a more biblical understanding that that doesn't work because the people you're in the bomb shelter with got problems too. So what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I'm not just trying to save you from things. I'm saving you to something. I'm not trying to extract you from the world. I'm trying to put you into the world with a new purpose that will bring blessing to the world. And that's just called to fish for people. Jesus has a plan and a purpose to make insignificant people highly significant to the work of God in the world. To make this more, more, more personal, Jesus has a plan to take regular, old, insignificant you that has no sense of how your job or your season of life connects to anything right now. Jesus has a plan to take you right now in this season of life and connect regular, old you to the significant, global, and divine work of God that's happening in the world. And he's trying to do that by this invitation. And to be connected to the work of God in the world, you need to hear this invitation and then begin to embody it on your street, in your social sphere, in your family, with your friends. That's how we step into the work and purpose of God. So Jesus' plan for transformation is is this. What's his plan for this? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. It's a a very, very simple plan. Follow me. Now, if we look at this uh, fulfilled through Matthew, we see exactly, or at least through Matthew's highlighting, we see exactly what he, Jesus does with these disciples. He takes them along with him. They, li- they literally follow him. They leave everything. They leave their family. They leave their father Zebedee. They leave the nets. They leave the boat, and they go, and they, they follow him. They become homeless with him for three years, watching him preach, watching him heal, watching him get ridiculed, watching him get death threats. They follow him. They watch, they do, they learn, he teaches, he debriefs, he holds these little seminars where he's like, hey, I just did this. What did you guys think? He, he, he interacts with them. They literally follow him after he gives his call. Now for us, the question becomes this. Jesus is giving us this call, but there's a problem. And the problem with this call is this that we almost will do anything we can to avoid the back half of this invitation. That we would love if Jesus said, follow me, I will make you prayer warriors. Say, okay, great. Follow me, I will make you students of scripture. Okay. Follow me, I will make you the best feeder of the homeless. Everybody would be in. Follow me. I will do miracles through you, and you'll heal people. Cool. We would take anything almost except fishers of people. We don't like that, do we? I can tell you don't like it because it looks in your face. You're like, we we really don't. Right? We're like, Jesus, come on. Jesus, this is 
This sounds kind of rude. Jesus, we have to impose, we want to impose things on people? Jesus, please. Wait, Jesus, Jesus, anything but this. I'll do anything but be fishers of people. So the problem with this call is that we love the first half of it, but we hate the back half, if we're going to be honest. Jesus, I don't want to sh- talk about you with people. I'm going to sweat so much. And they're going to look at me this way, and I'm going to be like those people. We hear this call, fishers of people, and we think the person on the side of the street holding the Jesus, Jesus is the way sign, yelling and screaming, declaring truth in the most rude and abrasive way. You're like, wow, that's very helpful to the rest of us. You just set the team back three years, right? We say, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to do that. So there's a problem that we have with this call. We'll throw out every single excuse. Well, Jesus, I can't fish for people because that means I'm going to have to speak about you when I'm an introvert. Jesus, I don't want to fish for people because that means at some point I'm going to have to answer a question and I don't have all the answers. Jesus, I don't want to fish for people because I don't want to be preachy. Those are legit things to navigate through. There's good answers to all of those. You don't have the answers? Nobody does. You don't want to be preachy? Well, when you preach the gospel, you call out everyone. So at least you got that going. No one can really pin you down. Well, you really like them. It's like, no, they have problems too, right? So there's no way around these things. But it's only when we sense the dignity of this call will we be able to get over those hurdles. We have to understand the purpose of this call, the love in this call, the glory in this call. To actually get past all the hurdles that make us say, Jesus, I wish we could just edit this verse a little bit. So the problem with the call is that, man, we just don't really like it. And part of the reason we don't like this is because we don't like the unknown. How many of you like the unknown? How many of you guys love coming into a room and say, well, I don't know what's going to be in here. It might be some people popping up and surprising me. How many of us love to just say, hey, I I don't want to know anything about what you have planned for for, for work this week. Just hit Just surprise me. Right? No, that sounds horrible. Right? How many of us get that, that trauma when we click on the inbox? We're like, I don't know what's going to be in here. Please, God. Please. Right? People don't even believe in God. God, please let this inbox be okay. Right? This sense of the unknown, I don't know what I'm going to encounter. It's uncomfortable. It may overwhelm me. It may challenge me. It may frustrate me. We don't like entering into the unknown. But here's the thing. If you're going to follow Jesus, you are getting into deep waters. We cannot follow Jesus effectively at all if we do not step into the unknown. Do Peter and the crew here have any idea what's coming next? Do they have any sense of what's going to happen next? Does Peter know he's going to go through three years of highs and lows and betray his friend and see his friend crucified? Does Peter have any sense of this? No, but what he does have a sense of that Jesus is worthy to be followed. So he follows. But see, what's so difficult for us is we are so used to comfort. We're so used to the known. And just as Peter and the crew have to turn their backs from their family, turn their backs from the boat, turn their backs from from Zebedee, turn their backs from their profession, turn their backs from the things that that they have known and they have become accustomed to, if we're going to follow Jesus' call and have this this royal purpose infused into our lives, we're going to have to turn our backs on some things as well. Now, we're not going to necessarily have to turn our backs on our family because some of the ways that Jesus actually wants us to fish for people, 
to put the gospel out is going to be within our family. It's going to be with our kids. It's going to be with our parents. It's going to be with our siblings. It's going to be in all of those spheres. So it may not be this turning of the back on the family, but there is a turning of the back on something if we're going to follow this call. And the thing that we will have to turn our back on if we are to follow the call of Jesus, our Savior, is going to be turning the back on the thing that we love the most outside of him, which is ourself. If we're going to follow this call, we have to turn our back on our love affair with ourself. We have to turn our back on our love affair with our comfort. We have to turn our back on our love affair with the road of least resistance. We have to turn our back on our love affair with people's opinions. We have to turn our back on our love affair with avoiding all things awkward. We have to turn our back on our love affair of ourselves. See, because when it comes down to it, a lot of the reasons that people who love Jesus will, will never engage others with the good news of Jesus, not because they, they love that person so much, is because we love ourselves. We love ourselves too much to put us in a weird situation. It's kind of like I love myself uh, too much to do extreme things that would endanger my body. Like hiking. I just love myself too much to do that, right? Got to wake you guys up. There you go. In the mic like this, has got to come at least one joke. <laughs> Okay, so, so we, we love ourselves too much. And so, so the love issue that stops us from obeying this call is not so much, oh, I love them too much. I would never, I love them too much to speak to them about Jesus. No, we love ourselves too much to, to step a foot into the water to follow him to go fish. We love ourselves so much, we just want to stay on the shore. We don't want to cast the net. It's going to be too strange. It's going to be too weird. And how am I going to feel? And then how will they feel? But how am I going to feel? Right? And so there's a love dynamic here. But actually, this call to fish for people is a call to love people more than we do. Because when you love people, you risk. When you love people, you'll put yourself out there. See, Peter and the crew to follow this, they had to risk turning their back on family to step into the unknown waters of following Jesus. They don't know all that that means. They have a sense of his glory. They have a sense that he is the one, that he is the Savior. But they don't know all. And if we're going to follow this call, we too have to turn our back and we have to risk. And the thing we have to put on the line in love for others and love for Jesus is our comfort. Are we really willing to crucify our comfort to let Jesus transform us into fishers of people? Are we willing to have that type of risk? Do we love Jesus that much to risk for him in that way? Do we love people that much to risk for, for them in that way? This is a hard call. But the good thing about this call is in this phrase, follow me and I will make you fishers. I love this. It's not follow me and become fishers. It's follow me and I will do it. You just, you just come along. You just, we're just a little dog there. Come, come this way, over here, right? Jesus will make us into this. Jesus will do it. Isn't this great? Not you, not you do it. Jesus, the son of God who rose from the dead. Jesus, crucified for our sin. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Jesus, the savior of the world. Jesus will do it if we follow. I love this because this is within reach. This is Low-hanging fruit for us. This is 
Put yourself under the stream of Jesus' transforming grace, and he will do it. This is what you will become. Jesus does not say, follow me, and Peter, you will, you will do this because you have more charisma. James, John, there's a great chance, but maybe not. Follow me. I will make you fishers of people. I will do it. Who's it based on? Him. Who's transformed? Us. This is good. So how does this happen? Because let's be honest, for a lot of us, we don't feel like this has happened yet. Jesus, I've been following you for a while. Where's the transformation? Did it get delivered to the wrong house? <laughs> Did I receive it? Where is it? Well, part of it is in staying close to him and abiding in him. But the transformation is within us if we have trusted in him. It is there. It is waiting to be cultivated and, and lived out. The power for transformation is following. And again, this fleshed out, as I said earlier, is the repent and believe. It is the embrace of the gospel. It is the embrace of, I cannot attain my way to God, but God has come to me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Through trust in his name, I am restored to God now and eternally through the good news of Jesus. And that gospel, when we embrace it by faith, when we trust Jesus by faith, there's something that happens to us, not just in status, but we become a new creation. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, a new creation. And here's part of what happens when we are a new creation. The Apostle Paul says this. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So here's what happens when someone becomes made new through the gospel. They are reconciled to God in order to be a reconciler of others to that very God. That we become made new. There is spiritual life within us that wasn't there before. The spiritual lights were off. Now they are on and bright and beautiful because of the work of the Holy Spirit applying the gospel to our hearts. And now, out of this sense that we have truly been reconciled to the creator, we become ambassadors, fishers, agents, missionaries, sent ones to see the same experienced by others. So the power for transformation that Jesus is saying, I will make you this, part of this is fulfilled in him teaching the disciples along the way, but part of this is also fulfilled by the Holy Spirit applying the gospel to our hearts, which happens the moment someone trusts in Jesus and they're made a new creation. So the power is Jesus by his spirit. Now we can put the brakes on this transformation. We can put the brakes on it. We can put the brakes on it by saying, this call does not sound like good news to me. And we could resist while Jesus is pulling us along. That's what happens in sanctification. We can't, we can't resist the, the beauty and the grace of Jesus, but we can certainly resist his power of transforming us along the way. So we can resist the call, or we can help accelerate the call by saying, Jesus, this is going to, I'm jumping in. I'm diving into the waters. I'm going into the deep end. Let me be transformed by you. The good news here is that we need his help to obey this call because it's hard to fish for people. Isn't it hard to talk about something that you know someone may not be excited to talk about? How many of you like doing things that you know you're going to fail at? You get excited, wow, I'm going to fail at this. This is going to be great. How many, how many of you do that? And yet every time, every time we have an opportunity to, even, even if it's just sharing, this is what God has done in my life with a friend who may not believe in Jesus, we have this sense of like, wow, this is, this is going to go horrible. We just have this sense 
This is not going to be received. This is, I'm, I'm going to fail. I'm, I'm not competent to do We have this sense of failure. But in Jesus' mind, if we're faithful and gracious and humble and truthful, he's honored. It's success. It's a win. It's good. And so we need the Spirit's help to fish for people because left to ourselves, we just feel like we fail and we're inadequate for the task, which we are. But Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men, so go fish. Now, the way that this happens, the way that we do this is by fixing our mind on Jesus, anchoring our identity at the foot of the cross, remembering his glory, his purpose, and all that he is that compels us in love to fish for people. It's by anchoring to him. And the question you're asking, probably you're thinking about is, well, what does it actually look like to fish for people? This is a mixed metaphor. What does this mean? Well, when you think about fishing, there's a lot of different ways to fish. How many are fishers here? Okay, so this whole text is lost on you. Fishers are people. Fish? What is fish? There's a lot of ways to fish. You can fish with the spear. You can fish with your hand. You can cast a net. You can trap. You can just do the, the dinghy pole that you got from Value Village. There's a lot of different ways that you can fish. You can be an all-out crazy fisher. You wear the fish gear all the time. Fisher, the hat with the hooks, you could, you could be all out or, or you're more a low-key fisher. You're more of a laid-back fisher. There's a lot of different ways you see people who love fishing go about fishing. And when Jesus says that he will make us fishers of men, he is speaking of a practice. He's speaking of a disposition. He's speaking of an identity, but he's also speaking of a way of living, a way of being, a, a way of doing certain things. And if we trace him through Matthew, we see part of this. He's actually going to show them how to be fishers of men in pretty much every lesson that he teaches them through the book of Matthew. So if you really wanted to say, what does it mean to be a fisherman? Just look at everything he does with his disciples in Matthew. He's, he's fleshing that out. And, and here are some of the things when it comes to being a fisher of people. You have to ask yourself this, are you motivated? Do you have proper motives in this? Are you equipped? Some of us don't obey Jesus in this because we have no motivation. We have no sense why this matters. Jesus is okay. People don't really need his help. Right? We just have a lack of motivation. Are we equipped? Some of us want to, but we have a sense of, I, I just, I can't do it. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't even know how to start a conversation with my best friend. I don't even know how to pray for people. Like what, I have a sense of, I don't have the equipment to do this. And some of us, we don't obey this call because we're, we don't feel that we're available. That life is crazy right now. And how am I going to fit in this, this cosmic call to fish for people in my life when I can barely get through my week? So some of these things hinder us from obeying this call and experiencing Jesus in the work of this fishing. So we have to navigate those. But the how of fishing, one, what do we fish with? We fish with the gospel. Some people try to catch people for Jesus by giving them rules. You seen that work well? Some people try to fish for Jesus by giving a culture instead of the gospel. You can read missionary history books and, and see this done well, you see this done poorly. We, we fish with the gospel. We fish with Jesus. We communicate Jesus to people. Jesus is the one that saves. Jesus is the one that captivates. Jesus is the one that we are trying to be about and to communicate from the scriptures. So we fish with Jesus, not our morals, not our cultural versions of things. We fish with Jesus. 
And then how we fish, Jesus makes very clear throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Notice one of the first things that Jesus teaches his disciples in Matthew 6, he teaches them how to pray. And do you know that part of this prayer is about this call of fishing? And Jesus, and Jesus teaches them in Matthew 6, he teaches them to pray for the kingdom. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's teaching his disciples to, to pray for the kingdom of God to come. And part of the kingdom of God coming is more and more people being brought into the kingdom, experiencing, knowing, loving, and being restored to the creator and king. So one of the ways that we fish for people, one of the ways that Jesus makes his disciples fishers of people is by teaching them to pray. You know what's great about this? As you can do it and no one knows. Some of us are frightened out of our boots to speak to people about Jesus. So why don't we just speak to Jesus about the people? It's by far the most effective thing we could do. We're asking the Lord of the harvest, the king of the universe that changes hearts, we're asking him to do it. Saying, Jesus, I can't do it, so I'm going to pray fervently till my gap jeans have holes in them for you to break in and do something in my friend's life. Jesus, you know how scared I am. Jesus, you know I don't know a lot. Jesus, you know I'm dumb. You do it. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to be on my knees every day for my friends, going to you, saying, you said you would make me fishers of men. I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I'm asking you to do something. You see how easy this is? We can just speak to him about the fish, about our friends, about our neighbors, and say, Jesus, I can't change anyone's mind. I'm not supposed to. You do it. So we fish by praying. So one of the things I want you to think about here is if God answered all of your prayers from the last 30 days, all of your prayers for the last 30 days, rack your mind, would anything change in the world or just in your world? If God answers all of your prayers from the last 30 days, would there be any new people who are restored to Jesus at all? See, this is one way to know, are we obeying the call to be fishers of men? Because the call to pray for the kingdom of God to come by asking God to bring people into his kingdom, to save them, to show them, to reveal himself to them, to bring them to Jesus. We don't have to step out of our comfort zone to do this. We can do this from within the boat. We can do this on the shore. No one has to know. This gets to the very heart motivations that we have at the core of us. Is do we pray for the kingdom of God to go forward by people meeting Jesus Christ? This is the x-ray question. Do we pray? We fish by praying. We also fish by praying. We fish by sharing. Jesus in Matthew 10, 7, you know what he does? You know what he does with the disciples? He sends them out to go preach. He says, go. As you proclaim, go do this. And then he warns them about a bunch of stuff that's going to happen. But he sends them out to go. Jesus makes us fishers by putting us out of our comfort zone. So every time you get in a, that, that, that odd, odd spot when it comes to something with Jesus, just understand that's Jesus doing the transforming work. I'll be honest with you guys. I've had moments. I feel, I feel comfortable speaking about Jesus with my friends, but I also always, always freak out. Does that make sense? I feel both of those things at the same time. And I, I can think of vivid moments where I'm like, oh, you kind of see the turns, kind of like a plot point in a movie. You're like, I know, that guy's the criminal, don't you know? Like, and you see that happen in the conversation, you're like, oh, here comes the turn. I didn't even do anything. They're turning. It's turning to Jesus. It's turning to Jesus. And you're like, no, don't turn to Jesus. I'm not ready. You ever feel that? I felt that. We're like, oh, here it comes. Okay. 
how can I leave? You know, the sense of where it's like, where's these things within our heart? Where it's like, I love Jesus. I want to communicate Jesus. But there's also a part of me that's like this. I want to get out of the water and get on the boat and go back with my dad, Zebedee. Right? Which is, I don't, I don't, I don't want it to turn here. But Jesus makes us fishers by putting us into the water. I remember my uncle trying to teach me how to swim in California. This may not be the best technique, but he just grabbed me and threw me in. But he's there. He's there with me. He's got these strong, big thighs, and he can get in after me and rescue me if it doesn't go well. Jesus is pushing us into or out of our comfort zone to make us fishers of people. So when the conversation turn comes there, when the topic comes up, when something happens, when, when it goes there in conversation, Jesus is transforming you in that moment. And if you don't know anything, say, I don't know. Let me look it up. Let's talk about it later. But he calls us to fish by, by sharing. If you feel like you, you don't know, you can't, it's just a struggle. You don't know how to do it well, to be humble and truthful at the same time. Talk to people in your GC. Talk, talk with me. There's stories, resources we can share and, and, and help one another in that. Jesus also calls to fish by, by inviting. And, and here's some of the practical things that I think will hopefully help you. You can fish for people by just asking people questions. We get the sense that to be a fisher of people means that we have to become this person that just has the gospel kind of on record. And every time we see someone, we just say, hey, listen to this. Right? We can fish by just being with our friends and asking people questions, learning their hopes, their desires, their beliefs, the things that give them significance. Just, if you ask good questions, these conversations will come to you in the most natural way. You'll still feel uncomfortable because it's out of our comfort zone, but they'll arrive to you right in front of you. So always ask questions that get you to the second layer. When someone tells me about a movie, I loved, did you like it? I loved it. What did you like about it? Well, I love this theme. Well, what did you think about that theme? Well, I thought this, this, this. How does that impact your life? Oh, this, this, this. Well, why do you think that? You just, ask, you just ask people questions. People love to talk about themselves. You will find opportunities to speak about the deep things of life because Jesus connects to everything. So ask people good questions. Ask them about what they believe. Don't even look for an opportunity or don't even try to bulldoze in with what you believe. Find out what they think. We're in strange times. Ask people why they feel hopeful. Why do you feel hopeful? Or why do you not feel hopeful? Just ask good questions. You can fish by asking. You can fish by tell, offering to tell your friends your story. Your, let me tell you something. Your friends like you. Let me just encourage you guys. Your friends like you. They really do. They wouldn't hang out with you if they didn't. They like you. Your friends want to know about things that matter to you. Your friends want to know how Jesus has changed your life. Because your friends trust you. Your friends trust you more than you think. And you have credibility with them that you're not going to be rude to them or demean them. Your friends would love to know why a person who died 2,000 years ago controls every aspect of your life. They would be very interested to hear that. So offer to tell your friends your story. Your friends would love to know what God is doing in your life right now. Why, when something is difficult, maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's with work, maybe it's with your roommate, maybe it's with wondering what's next in your life, they would love to know how God is helping you through that because guess what? Those are problems every person faces. They would love to know. Well, how does God give you help and strength through that? Oh, that's interesting. They would love to know. Here's the other thing. We fish by inviting. You would be surprised by how many of your friends maybe have never really encountered the Bible before. 
and they would actually read it with you. I know you're like, what? Every person I've asked to do this with me has said yes. Some flake out, but every person has said yes. Because they're curious and interested about the person of Jesus. A person who's changed the course of human history by doing work for three years. Talk about efficiency. What if you could work for three years and change the world? So people are interested in this Jesus. They're interested in him. And they would be curious to take a look at him with their friend, who they know is not going to try to shame them. Like, you, you, you don't understand how much people like you. You really don't. And how willing people are to do this. I want to share, share a story, and then I'm, I'm going to um, close this down for us. Uh, I want to share a story. This is uh, from a, 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 an author who talks about inviting uh, a friend to, to read the Bible with him. And I'm just going to read it because it's an it's a interesting story. He says, there was a guy in my rugby team called Andy. And he walked up to me at training, and he said, my brother was killed in a farm accident this summer. I said something brilliant like, oh, man. Then he said, my brother was a Christian. Trying to top the brilliance of my first reply, I said, he was a Christian? <laughs> yes, Andy said. It's really made me think. Then, before I knew what I was really saying, I said, do you want to look at the Bible with me? He said, yes. So I knocked on the door of his flat, and he opened the door, and I went in. <laughs> Great writing. Someone had told me about Isaiah 53 and that it was a good passage. So I got out Isaiah 53. I scribbled down some questions. I was so nervous that I started sweating everywhere. Andy said, you're sweating all over the Bible. <laughs> I, said, I said, I'm fine, I'm fine. I've got some questions for you, Andy. I read Isaiah 53, then asked him four questions. He was a typical rugby guy, and he just answered yes, no, no, yes. It was over in two minutes. I prayed, and then I said, do you want to meet again next week? And Andy said, yes, but are you going to sweat as much next time? I mean, one, you got this guy beat because you're not going to sweat everywhere. But two, one of the things that's happening in this story is the relational credibility that this person has with their friend. That their friend trusted them to the point of understanding, you're not going to do something to shame me. I might not agree. I might not like it. But the only thing that's going to happen is that through whatever tension or conflict, with our relational credibility, I can trust you. And so he took a step, and he did it, and he sweated everywhere, and it went well. And it was done in two minutes, and there were two questions. He didn't know what he was doing, but he was following the call that Jesus said, Jesus, I will make you fishers of men. And so he's stepping out in obedience. The last way that we fish is by living counterculturally. Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus lays out how we're to live. And part of the way we fish is by living in such a distinct way that people begin to notice something about us. Something compelling, something challenging, something different, something distinct, something countercultural, something beautiful, something odd. And they notice that. And it opens the door for questions and conversation. So how we live plays a major point or part of the work of fishing. But ultimately, we fish because of love. Guilt is not powerful enough to propel you into this work. Only love is. Why would we put our comfort on the line? We put our comfort on the line because we are moved by how Jesus put his body on the line. Why would we risk by stepping into the unknown? We risk because Jesus gave his body for us. 
Why would we seek to love our friends and family by doing things that are foreign to us? Because Jesus stepped into a foreign land for us, leaving heaven, coming to earth to draw us to him. We do this compelled by the love and grace of Jesus. What's beautiful about this and beautiful about the gospel is that Jesus doesn't hold our fishing record over our heads and say, now you're accepted, now you're rejected. Jesus says, you are accepted by my work. Now let me transform you into something even greater. So will we move from the shore into the water and fish with the Savior? Let's pray. Father, we confess that we have neglected the call to be uh, fishers and participants in your your work in the world. God, we confess that we have uh, often loved our comfort and ease and reputations more than we have loved you and more than we have loved our neighbors, our friends. God, we confess that uh, our motives are often out of whack as revealed in the fact that we often are prayerless when it comes to the work of fishing and when it comes to praying for you to reveal yourself in a saving way to people. God, we confess that we have loved to think and to theorize about your commands more than we have loved obeying your commands. But we thank you, God, for the cross that pours out forgiveness, not only for the sins that we have committed, but for the good things we have neglected. We thank you for your grace, God. We ask that you would help us to love you more than our comfort. We ask that you would help us to love our friends and to love people enough to ask them about their hopes, their beliefs, their desires, their dreams. And to seek humbly to speak of you. We thank you that you give us your spirit to empower us for the work of disciple making, both in encouraging one another, in serving people, in living a countercultural, distinct godly, humble, servant-oriented life, but also that you give us your spirit to fill us with boldness that, that we don't have. We ask that you would help us to strive together side by side for the purpose of the gospel. We ask that you would make us confident in your power, that Jesus, you are able to Save us, you're able to transform us and that you're able to do the same for others. We pray you would answer these prayers that your power and your greatness would be shown off in a deeper and clearer way, not only for us to see, but for the city to see, for the world to see, for the nations to see. We pray this in your perfect name. Amen.